What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just wanted to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping websites. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has been tested and refined through years of experience. The guys at Skybox are crushing it. They got you guys a 30 unit week at the Masters two weeks ago. They've been all over baseball, the NBA, golf picks. NASCAR, if you want to go back and listen to the last week's episode where Skybox Sports Picks NASCAR guru explains the sport to me like I'm four, I would highly recommend you going and checking that out. It's a great conversation, how he finds values in head-to-heads, top tens every week. Skybox knows what they're talking about. They have a package for you. I would recommend if you're in the wagering game to definitely go check these guys out. You could buy a daily pass for 10 bucks, And with my promo code repeat, that would be 8 bucks. Um, 20% off. You could go with a month-long pass. I would just rather, I would recommend you going with the year-long pass, which is just a full-year membership to any sport, but they have week packages, month packages, and daily packages for each individual sport. You can do it overall. They have a package that is going to meet your price range, so check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY. You get 20% off. Podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. We've got the 16-ounce prime strip for all Rippy Rights newsletter subscribers. All you have to do is go to rippyrights.substack.com, type in your email, sign up for the newsletter. You get spammed by me. You get free meats. I would argue the free meats is the better, better end of the deal. You're getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks right now. Uh, but check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You guys know the drill. Greg is absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. They had all kinds of seafood over the weekend. He's got grill packs, lane train special, Keith Carter special, bacon wrap fillets. Go check him out for all your grilling needs. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. This is our usual Sunday night megapod from Ole Miss's baseball series. They lost two or three to LSU. We talk about the fate of this team, whether the ceiling has changed, the bullpen issues, the comeback on Saturday, of course, and a lot of other stuff, touched on some spring game stuff at the end. Colin Brister and I, pack show as always. Let's go. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday night. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line, as he always is, on Sundays is Colin Brister. This is our usual Sunday night podcast recapping Ole Miss's baseball series, this one of which they lost two of three to a pretty bad LSU team. We'll get into their uh, over- lingering issues, uh, kind of what was a crazy Sunday game, and a bunch of other stuff. Probably touch on some spring football at the end, just as a requirement. But uh, what's up? Not much. It feels like like a year and a half since Ole Miss won that baseball series against Alabama. Just just been a long time since the Rebels were able to get two in a series. Well, frankly, they haven't won two in a series, uh, SEC series all year. That is very true. They have not taken two or three from a single team this year. I don't know if that's a resume ding. Don't really uh, hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. But you say it's been a long time. I mean, hell, it has been over a month at this point since they have won a baseball series. It has been not great, not great. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to talk about Saturday, and I, I think, you know, we'll get into this. It's important to keep Saturday in context. You, yes, you came back from down 9-1 to one in the eighth inning, but also why the hell are you down 9-1 to one in a game you're playing to avoid a sweep? Yeah, no kidding. We'll get into that uh, comeback here in a second. I, 
not totally irrelevant, but in terms of what this team's issues are and kind of their diagnosis of what's wrong, I thought it was fairly irrelevant overall. But uh, outside of that, I mean, it is good that they didn't quit. Obviously, winning is better than losing. But uh, I just didn't take a whole lot out of that, per se, overall. Uh, I don't even really know where to start with this one. Obviously, we did the live broadcast on Thursday night. That was kind of cool. I uh, appreciate everyone tuning in for that. We, uh, outside of buying like 60 bucks worth of premium video services and it ended up being on Twitter on my phone, I thought that went pretty well. <laughs> I think it'll be, I think it'll work after uh, uh, the YouTube's uh, 24 hour rule, which we didn't have a clue about. That is true. Next time we'll be on camera. I don't really know if that'll be better or worse, but uh, I guess <laughs> we'll decide. Uh, one way or another and we'll find out the next time we try to do that I do think we'll do that again at some point uh, maybe another Thursday night game just depending on uh, how both of our schedules work out but I appreciate everyone who tuned in for that and that is now currently listening to this Uh, had a good time doing that even though the desired result for uh, the Ole Miss camp was not not there but uh, kind of getting into this series Ole Miss does lose two of three I thought the first two games are about as ugly as games as they played all year and, uh, I, you know, I put a dollar in the – compare the, this to 2019 team jar. Um, it starts like the funk they're in and them just not looking right. I felt particularly after game two on the Friday game, it felt reminiscent of very much of like late April, early May of 2019. You couldn't really put your finger on what's wrong. I guess you could put a little more of your finger on what's wrong here. The problem's easier to locate. It's a bullpen. But I think it was also more than that. But I say all that to say is, like, something just seems off about the team. I don't know if a comeback necessarily changes that. But I, I thought it was very um, similar to where it's like, eh, there's just something off here. Sure. And, and, but there's a lot of different dynamics for Thursday night, right? Like, Derek Diamond pitches well. Um, you have the two errors in the first inning, which obviously give up the two runs. You're playing from behind, you know, to begin the game. But you're able to get the 4-2 lead. However, you know, it, what, what – what I struggle with is I think – and people, when I say this, don't understand what I mean. I think if Gunnar Hoagland pitches that game, Ole Miss wins the game, they win the series, everything's lovely, and everybody's like, well, you know, Diamond gives up one earned run over six innings. How can you say that? Well, they gave up two runs in the first inning, sure enough, on errors. Don't make many errors when you strike out. And, and Gunnar Hoagland strikes a lot of people out, whereas Derek Diamond really doesn't. Um, so, so that's that's kind of what like bothers me about this series. If if Hoagland is healthy, I think you win two or three. You maybe don't play well, uh, but you're able to get out of here with a victory. But in saying that, like, all right, now that you look at it and he didn't pitch, it's a game, man, where you're up four to two and you're you're all American. Well, he's probably not all American, but he's a dynamite closer is on the mound and just doesn't have it. And you know, like that happens. Your 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 closer is some nights not going to have it. He's going to have a bad night. And unfortunately for Ole Miss, it came at the absolute worst time. You blow the four to two lead, and you're just not able to produce anything offensively to get back into the game. It, that the Thursday night was a tough one for sure. But I think the 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 game that bothers me most was Saturday, and it's not like that it bothers me because. Ole Miss didn't play well, which they didn't. You know, they screwed up a lot of things defensively. It's just, man, that an offense that had been, you know, for most of the year really, really good had probably its worst day of the season on Friday night. Yeah, they did, and it just seemed kind of lethargic. And then there were some similar defensive miscues not helping out their pitcher that, you know, ended up leading to, I guess it was at least one run. I'm trying to think back to each scenario you know, I know they end up giving up the grand slam and it goes late, but that's two games in a row where Ole Miss is down late in a ball game because of 
I say it because of it, they, they're down in part because of errors they surrendered early in the game, which continues to cost them. They're uh, sure. bad defensively. They're, they're not good defensively. Um, you know, but that's uh, – here's my thing with them not being good defensively. There is room to not be like, – I, I approach not being good defensively from two different vacuums. You can be not good defensively and still be pl- plenty fine. You you can be not good defensively and make and, and not make errors. Does that make sense? Like you can have a really slow outfield that doesn't get to a lot of things, but they don't make errors. You can have a shortstop or a second baseman that don't have a ton of range, don't have a great arm, but they make routine plays. And and that's what Ole Miss has got to be able to do the rest of this year. Is look, they're never going to be confused with an elite defensive team, even if they play extremely well. Um, they've got limitations pretty much at every position right now, exception of maybe third base if Justin Bench is healthy. Um, but they can make routine plays. And, and, and that's what you've got to start hoping from Ole Miss gets better is that they're able to make the routine plays. Because, again, this defense is never, as it's currently constructed, going to be one that you confuse with an elite defensive team. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, that's exactly – but on a lot of those plays, particularly in game one, it, it was those plays. You know, I think back to the Florida series where they – that run that ended up costing them because McCants kind of took a weird – or missed a diving ball and then kind of misplayed one late. And then he takes the weird angle on the Thursday night game against State that gives State the lead at, uh, in that opening game. Like, Thursday and Friday this week were not plays like that. It was basic plays that they just goofed up. Like, it was really just sure. – I don't know if lethargic is the right word because I'm not insinuating that they're not trying or whatever, but it, it, it's certainly lackadaisical. Yeah. I mean, it's – this weekend's the one that upset me more because, you know, I can look at McCants and see that, hey, he's, he's a new outfitter. He's getting better. But when, you know, Bench has the error in the third – or the first game that cost you the run and then, you know, they're able to get the hit and put it at two. Uh, you know, when Dunhurst threw a ball into right field and obviously, you know, you don't like to play at first base. Those are the ones that bother you because you can – I think, again, when you talk about not being good defensively, it's from two different perspectives. They're never – like I said, never going to be great defensively just from a foot speed and, and ability standpoint. But, man, this team has got to be able to make routine plays. And, and, and I will say this. I think some of that is fixable. I think a lot of it comes with confidence. Like, you know, I, I don't think – I think Justin Bench is a pretty good third baseman. Um, I think he's had a pretty rough few weeks. So I, I think that's a situation where, hey, you look up in two weeks and he's, he's figured it out and he's fixed it and he's perfectly fine. So this defense, yes, it's not good right now and it's making way too many errors. I do think there's an ability to be able to make the routine play and, and do things that, you know, aren't overly complicated that Ole Miss is going to be able to hopefully get better at. I don't think this is I, – I, I think this is something that is fixable. I'll just say it like that. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, shit, it better be, you know, right? Like, that that's kind of you, – you, I guess you articulated that better than I was trying to in the sense that, like, the you can live with the McCants plays that I referenced from the Florida series and the State series because it's an infielder trying to learn a new position, and that's what you're talking about when you're referring to. As currently constructed, this team's not really ha- – this team doesn't really have the personnel to be an elite defensive team. But kicking the ball around like they did for Thursday and then parts of Friday – like, that is the routine play. I agree that it's fixable, but, like, they, they better fix it. I mean, it's, it's not one of those things where it's like, hey, get better at doing this. Just it, It's almost like a, hey, do your job thing. Like, I mean, yeah. most of those well, are kind of excusable this weekend. 
and yeah, sure, and and we'll get to this, but the but the time is now for this Ole Miss baseball team. Look, they they have two more weekends before regional hosts come out, and uh, I've said this. Look, Ole Miss, if the season, you know, if they were making regional hosts right now, Ole Miss would be safely a regional host, no doubt in my mind. But in saying that, there's two more weekends, and Ole Miss has to play better. Frankly, there's to me, everyone's kind of head scratching, like, all right, well, what's wrong with this team? There's a lot of Ole Miss just has to play better. And I don't think, like, when I say they have to play better, I mean, like, they're playing bad right now, okay? Like, the past two weekends, they have not played well. I thought they played pretty well against Arkansas, honestly. I thought, most part, they played pretty well against Florida. The past two weekends, I can't say that. And, and I think that's – Ole Miss just has to play better next weekend, and they can't. That, that's, that's the thing that, I you know, makes you keep coming back to this team. What – what bothers me from this weekend is when I look at LSU, they were as bad as I thought they were. Ole Miss just for two days was worse. Yeah, that's the that, – yeah, I, I could not agree more because it's it's funny. I, I, I like Kendall, I like Aaron and and all and both all those guys at D1, but it was funny seeing some of the national guys kind of start talking about how LSU's not done yet. It's like, actually, if you're watching these games, Ole Miss just played like shit. Yeah, no, there's nothing that – There's no run in LSU. No, no, no. A good team beats the hell out of Ole Miss. What would you say? A good team beats the hell out of Ole Miss twice this – a good team sweeps Ole Miss this weekend and would have beat the hell out of them on Thursday and Friday night. And I know the the Friday night game got out of control, but a good team, there's no way that game's close in the seventh inning. Would agree with that. I mean, you talk about just stretches of bad baseball. I was – what was the – there was that stretch in the Friday game where LSU hit a base hit that scored a run, or maybe it was in the gap and Plumlee did a pretty good job tracking it down or something. Whatever the play was where the ball ended up in Chatagnier's hands maybe after a cutoff or something, and then he ends up going home with it and the guy's out by a mile. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, why was he uh, running the LSU kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. the point for me on Friday. It was like, dear God, both of these teams are just throwing rocks at each other's heads. Yeah, and then you have the Drew Bianco situation on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought Friday personified it more. Did you think Ole Miss played worse on Thursday or Friday? My uh, overwhelming vote is Friday. It, okay, so so here's what I'll say about Friday is, is how do we approach this? Because And we need to get into this because I, I should have done a better job articulating it. Their, Ole Miss's offense is really, really good. Good Lord, there is someone driving. So I live right off like Highway 82, and so I hear things. There is a man driving a motorcycle about 120 miles an hour outside my house. Anyways, um, Ole Miss struggles offensively with one type of pitcher. Everybody does the, oh, they can't hit lefties that that throw slow. No, they struggle against right-handed pitchers that sink the baseball. Um, and A.J. Labus did a really good job of that. So when I, when I saw that, you know, he was able to sink the baseball and throw it in the strike zone, I knew offensively it was going to be a very tough night. Uh, just from, I didn't think they'd blow him up. But, you know, Doug Nikhazy's on the mound. You think, anyways, you're still going to have a really good shot. So, yeah, Friday night's the night that bothers you to me because there was always the possibility with, that you were going to lose to Landon Marceau with Gunnar Hoagland on the mound. There sure as hell was the possibility with Derek Diamond on the mound. Yeah, and Labus goes – Labus finished the job, right? It was he a did. 26-pitched complete game. He did. Run scattering 10 hits and a walk. He was great. Now, but here's my thing with the Ole Miss offense on, on Friday night. Yes, not good. You know, you, you score two runs in nine innings, let a guy throw a complete game. But Ole Miss's offense has been very, very good this year. There are 
certain approaches that do not are not conducive to a guy throwing a sinker ball that's able to, you know, Ole Miss is not a team that has a ton of launch angle guys, uh, you know, and that's not really conducive to a whole bunch of sinker balling. Um, you know, a guy like Thomas Dillard, that would be a guy that really helps you, but Ole Miss just doesn't have those type of guys right now. Um, and, and so I thought that matchup after I started, started I'd never, I hadn't seen Labus pitch, but after seeing Labus pitch, I kind of realized oh, Ole Miss is maybe in a little bit of trouble from a scoring perspective, and frankly, they were. Um, but you have to play well enough defensively and on the mound, and frankly, they were good enough on the mound to keep yourself in the ball game. Yeah, they really were. And jumping before we get into Friday, jumping one more time back to Thursday, you talk about the and we discussed this in our live our live show on Thursday night. But they're up four to two. They went. You know, it feels like Mike learned his lesson. They went straight to the guy. Really, the only guy back there at that point that they trust to get out it may still sure. be the case to some degree. And he has a bad night. And as you mentioned, he's allowed to have a bad night um, because it, asking him to be perfect when the conditions around him and the situations upon which he's entering the game, maybe that particular situation notwithstanding, have been so imperfect. But expecting him to be perfect every time is really just not fair. And he had a bad night. But you talk about the worst time it could come at. You're coming off the state series where the bullpen blows it late. Um, you know, Mike manages it poorly. And then he kind of learns his lesson, goes straight to the guy that you've trusted all year to get outs, and he doesn't get outs. It just seemed very demoralizing. Yeah, and, and I always enjoyed Thursday night because I had people blowing up my inbox. So you said, well, that's why Mike didn't go to him against Mississippi State. It's like, that it, makes no sense. I mean, like, yes, he had a bad night against LSU, but you, you, he didn't have a bad night against Mississippi State. He was dominant against Mississippi State. Doesn't give up a run in 2.2. Yeah, he wasn't good against LSU. There's no doubt about it. He wasn't good on Thursday night. I mean, you know, talk about Saturday. He was a freak show again, and it's funny how that works. So, you know, you blow the game, and that's unfortunate. But you just have to be able to respond on Friday night um, from a defensive perspective, frankly, and, and they didn't. Because the offense, again, on Friday night, Labus was really good. He was going to be able to limit what Ole Miss did offensively with the way he pitched and, and what Ole Miss tries to do offensively. Um but, you know, Doug McKaysey was great uh, from the standpoint of he was able to just grind, man, because he didn't have it on, on Friday night. If you, if you saw him pitch and you've, if you watched Doug McKaysey a lot in his career, he, was, he had maybe his C-minus stuff but was able to give you six innings of two-run baseball. Man, you take that every time when considering what he had to work with on Friday night. Uh, LSU did a really good job of wearing him down. I give LSU a lot of credit. That was the best – thing they did offensively this weekend to me besides you know obviously on Saturday where they just smashed everything uh they were able to get Nikhazy out after six innings which you know that that's the goal and eventually on on Friday night Ole Miss's bullpen cracked um you know it it was later than usual but but the bullpen did eventually crack and that's a credit to and a testament to what LSU was able to do from our approach standpoint on Friday night LSU did battle. They fouled off a lot of pitches, and they did it against some pretty unconfident relievers for Ole Miss um, on Thursday and Friday night. The, there were a couple of bats during the West Burton outing that really came to mind where it's like, all right, this kid's trying hard. You know, he has it. He's been kind of inconsistent this year, and they're just making him work for everything. Well, now, West was awesome. West yeah, was no, awesome. I thought he was fine, but you, there were four or five at bats. There was one particularly. I can't remember if it was the Cruz kid or Giacomo or however the hell you say the Italian's name where it was just eight, nine pitch at bat. Burton, he ends up striking him out, I'm pretty sure, with a two-seamer 
or four seamer. I can't remember what it was, but it was like an eight, nine pitch about where he made like six, seven pretty good pitches in a row. And they just kept fouling it off, fouling it off, fouling it off. And it's one sure. thing that's happening to, you know, Doug McKenzie, Gunnar Hoagland, Taylor Broadway, but a guy that hasn't been in a whole lot of big spots and a guy that hasn't been great for Ole Miss this year. I thought that was even, uh, even tougher to overcome. Burton did a good job with it, but I, I agree with your point that LSU really did battle at the plate and make the Ole Miss, uh, make the Ole Miss pitchers work and throw a lot of pitches, which proved to be pretty effective. Sure. Um, you know, so, you know, I thought, frankly, that I'll say this. You know, obviously, Ole Miss goes 0-2 Thursday night. I didn't think it was all bad, though. I, I thought the fact, obviously, that Derek Diamond was able to be excellent uh, is a really big deal for your bullpen going forward. Wes Burton throws two scoreless before he has a little problem in the ninth and, and was kind of, you know, he, he lets the leadoff guy on each time, but is able to pretty much dominate the rest of the inning. And, and I, that's big going forward. You need all the bullpen arms you can get. And obviously we'll get into Saturday in just a second. But finding a guy like Wes Burton could be big for this bullpen, man, because everybody talks about, oh, yeah, they've got bullpen problems. They have bullpen problems. They do. Absolutely. Um, but what I will say is they don't have to have much more out of the bullpen to be okay. Like if you can find two or three guys to add along with Broadway. And frankly, I think they may have found two this weekend. If you can have three or four guys, is that a deep bullpen? No, but it's a bullpen that's good enough to get you to where you want to go to. Particularly with the starting pitching you have sure. two days, and we'll get to the third guy in a second who did not have a great day. But uh, jumping back real quick, one more thing I wanted to get out of Thursday, because like, I forget we did the live show, but we actually don't have a podcast recording. Sure. Uh, I, I got into I got a lot of messages and stuff about the ninth inning situation, bunting, no bunting. Um, I'll offer one kind of macro thought before we get into the micro sure. that situation. Taylor Broadway stunk. Whatever the kid's name was that hit the ever living shit out of that home run. Dylan Cruz. <laughs> yeah, Dylan Cruz. I forgot. I forgot which one it was. You know, he was not good. He grooved it. He didn't have his stuff. But even Ole Miss being down five to four against that type of LSU bullpen. And now, granted, what's-his-face was really good. Fontenot was really good. Yeah, Fontenot was really good. You, you were talking about it in live action. And you pointed out to me the run he had on the two-seamer combined with whatever the hell that other thing was he was throwing, I think it was a slider, was really good. He ends up finishing the game with three innings of shutout baseball, scattering two hits. All of that, be that as it may, even with Taylor Broadway relinquishing the lead, Ole Miss finishing the game with four runs is, is not great from an offensive perspective either over the final three frames. It's not, and, and let's talk about it because I forgot how big of a deal this was on Thursday night. Um, and I, I said on our – I sidetracked into two thoughts. The, uh, <laughs> on our first, thoughts on the offense last inning. Second, uh, why should you bunt always? Um, okay. So, offense, not great. But Fontenot, I think, like, that's where you do have to give some credit. Fontenot was really good, and he hasn't looked like that at all the times this year. Um, and, and I know that's frustrating for Ole Miss fans to hear, but I'm telling you, I've watched that kid enough that, that he doesn't always look like that. He was really good on Thursday night. He's one of their team leaders. He's a captain, I think. And, you know, he pitched the crap out of it. Obviously, in the ninth inning, when you get the first two guys on, you're hopeful to be able to get a run at least and get it to extra innings. Okay, here's what – you want to talk about the bun or not? Yes, I would because I got a lot of questions and a lot okay. of angry thoughts about it. So, for those of you that are listening to this podcast that don't watch Ole Miss baseball, uh, one, hi, two, what are you doing here? But I'll outline it for you regardless. Ole Miss is down five to four. They get the first two runners on in the ninth inning. 
and Mike, Mr. Bunt Bianco, has seemingly turned – He doesn't bunt anymore, though. Exactly, he doesn't. Exactly. It's seemingly turned over a new leaf over the last, I'd say, two years. There were times mm-hmm. in 2018, in my opinion – I say my opinion, my memory, where he had some maddening bunts. But really the last two seasons, two full seasons they've played sure. – 2019, part of 2020, this one, he hasn't bunted. And so he's turned over a new leaf. Ole Miss is last in the SEC in sacrifices with two. I thought that was a good note by – I think that was Tom Hart on Thursday night. I can't remember who it was calling the game. But they don't bunt anymore. He sticks with what he's been doing, and it doesn't work out because you go, what, strikeout? Strikeout, 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 base hit, strikeout. But the base hit wasn't into the outfield. Yes. So okay. they did strike out all three times. I thought so. Were- the the question is: Do you bunt T.J. McCants, who comes up after Justin Bench with first and second, uh, nobody out? And I said live they should bunt. I have since changed my mind on that. I will ask you this though. Here, here's how I'll present this: T.J. McCants was up there. He was the one that everybody asked if you wanted to bunt. That's correct, right? Correct. Would you? And I'm asking you. Hayden Dunhurst was up there. Would you bunt? Oh, that's different. No, it's not. It's not different. But but would you bunt Hayden Dunhurst? In that situation, unless it is Kevin Graham. Well, or, or, but why, why Kevin Graham? Uh, because I was told when I covered him, particularly as a freshman. Okay, so so it's not because of how good Kevin is. It's because he can't bunt. It's part of that. But it, So, I guess I'll make this a simpler answer. In, in that situation, given the way Fontenot had pitched most of that game, I'm probably bunting with pretty much whoever and then just giving myself a shot at a fly ball or obviously a hit right. and then just get the ball in the air. But at the same time, in saying that, saying that I personally would have bunted, I had no problem at all no. with Mike not bunting. And all right. I'm talking about favoring it. I'm talking about 52-48% in favor okay. in that situation. I had no issue. Here, here's, here's why I'll say I changed my mind on bunting. Okay, who was behind T.J. McCants? Do now, you remember? Behind T.J. McCants was John Rice. No, no, excuse That's, me. Behind no, no. It was Plumley, right? It was John Rice Plumley. Okay, so let, let's, let's play this hypothetical out. First off, and, and this is the thing that annoys me with bunting that people never understand, or, or I shouldn't say never understand, never take into account. TJ McCants has to get the bunt down, okay? Like, he has to do a good job. How many times do you think they asked TJ McCants to bunt in high school? I have no idea. Do, do you think they let a, a kid that's starting at Ole Miss as a freshman bunt a whole lot in high school? I'm going to go on a limb and say they probably did. I'm going to say they let the dude hit. So we're asking a dude who – let me look and make sure I'm saying this correctly. Ole Miss has two bunts this year. They are from uh, Jacob Gonzalez and Peyton Chatness. So T.J. McCants has not laid down a bunch. All right. So we're going to ask him to get his first collegiate bunt down, which that's not something that's guaranteed for a guy in John Rice Plumley. All right. So you have second, third. Let's pretend just that he does get it down. What is the one thing you cannot do? If John Rice Plumley comes up there with a guy on second and third one out, what's the one thing you can't do? Strike out. Okay. And, 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 and I'm not saying, oh, well, John Rice struck out anyways. That's not my point. John Rice strikes out 25 – or going into that at bat, he struck out 25% of his at bats. That is an extremely high K rate. Extremely high. 
uh, not at bats, 25% of his plate appearances. I'm going to be clear there. 25% of his plate appearances, he, he strikes out. So what you're deciding, if you bunt there with TJ McCants, is you're deciding two things. I'm going to take the bat out of my, one of my best hitter's hands right here and put it on the shoulders of a guy who can't strike out uh, but strikes out 25% of his plate appearances. Also, in doing so, I'm going to only play for one run and probably have to send Taylor Broadway back out there who does not have his stuff to try to pitch me a shutdown inning so I can go hit again. I understand the frustration with not bunting. I'm just telling you that I have a problem putting John Rice Plumley in that situation where he cannot strike out and he's got a 25% K rate and frankly looked overmatched at times. I, I just, if it's me, I'm trying to score two runs and win the game there. And my best path to doing that is letting TJ McCants hit. Even if TJ pulls a ground ball to the right side, you get him to third and TJ's not, look, I know we grounded into a double play this weekend. He's not a guy that's going to ground into many double plays over the course of his career. I, I just, I have a real issue, not with people saying we well, you should bunt there, I have a real issue saying, well, that was a colossal failure of Mike Bianco to not bunt there. I I completely agree as well. And another point that I brought up with you, well, I'll hit this one first. Another part of that is, and you touched on it a little bit, you know, how many times have they asked TJ McCants to bunt in high school? How often does he do that? Um, (laughs) It sounds silly, but I'll, I'll, I'll preface it with this. I'm halfway joking with this. If a team does it clearly does not practice bunt defense, that probably means they're not bunting a whole lot in practice, right? <laughs> You'd think. Things You'd are, think. Hmm. But on a on a slightly more serious note, a team that made three errors that night that doesn't exactly do a lot of the fundamental things well, there is a lot of execution that goes into both sacrifice bunting and being on the base pass. And the team is one, not great at executing little teams, little things, and kind of acts like idiots on the base pass sometimes. How are you trusting them to execute that with 100% close to it? Also, you know, and and here's – yeah, you're exactly right, but I, I want to present something else. Let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. Uh, TJ McCants leads the team in batting average now, by the way. Um, so, let's pretend that TJ does get the bunt down. And I said Plumley had a uh, 25% K rate, which is abnormally high. That leaves first base open, and it, first base is irrelevant, right? Because if Justin Bench is on second and he scores, he wins the game. Is that correct? Yes. Is that, is that, by your math, is that correct? Six would, yes. It's scoring Be greater than five? Greater than five okay. in the ninth inning. LSU does not get another right. in the sport. All right, let's, let's play this out. Let's say they walk John Rice Plumley. Kel Baker is on deck. Kel Baker does two, it does, strikes out a hell of a lot. 36% K rate right now, okay? What's something else Kale Baker probably, if he hits a ground ball, is going to do? Watch your filthy mouth. He got an infield single. Mm-hmm. Do you know what would have happened if that ball that that guy fielded with the bases would have been loaded? I agree. <laughs> Completely agree. It's a double play in the game, Ed. Your point is exactly. well. I just I, – I'm not saying that people that wanted to bunt are wrong. I'm saying I would have let T.J. McCants hit if I had all that data, like looking at it, I wasn't looking at that live. Mike, I'm not saying he was looking at the exact same thing I did, but I do think Mike considered that, okay, one, I need to score two runs here because I don't want to have to send Broadway back out there. And two, John Rice Plumley strikes out a lot. I, yes. I do think those were two considerations into not bunting. 
Yes, he does, and I agree. And we'll give Mike the benefit of the doubt in that case because he does love putting those little reading glasses on and reading whatever that wooden chart is uh, <laughs> up against the dugout. Still haven't quite figured what that is, but let's assume that he's crunching numbers over there because Mike is a mathematician, big into analytics. Uh, you you joke, but but Clint, Clement actually is. Mike's um, gotten better about it, it letting that letting that leak into his program more so. I, I'm going to make a joke about answering phones, but I'm just going to hold off on that. You know what I'm talking about. Insert a reference there. But he has gotten better about that in all seriousness. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Another thing that I texted you about after the uh, game ended that night after we got off the broadcast was I know if you look at the numbers and the, the strikeout rate of both Plumley and Leatherwood, this statement I'm about to make doesn't necessarily make sense. But in the recent moment eye test type of thing, it does. Another kind of just weird-ish, crappy luck thing with Ole Miss, and I'm not saying it would have changed the situation. I'm not saying Mike would have bunted had this been the case. But if you do have Leatherwood in the game and Plumlee – not Plumlee, excuse me. McCants doesn't dead leg him on accident on that ball in the outfield or whatever that ended up being. Don't you probably feel a little bit better if yes. you're talking about McCants about Hayden Leatherwood getting a ball airborne other – uh, and not striking out. Uh, aside, yeah, I, I just blank there. You feel better about Leatherwood in that situation, getting a ball in the air, not striking out, than you do John Rice Plumley. Yeah, and and really, I just at that point, I just kind of need the ball in play. Uh, I how do I say this without offending somebody? Hayden Leatherwood would not have been overwhelmed by Devin Fontenot. It was obvious to me that John Rice Plumley was. Yeah, absolutely, and a lot of that comes from. Not a lack of experience, but a lack of a lack of sure. at bats because that's a that's one of the benefits of playing every day. I think is just seeing that type of stuff and different types of stuff and being able to handle different types oh. of pitchers more consistently. It's not a knock. I know what you were trying to get at, but that's also not necessarily a knock on Plumley. No, I know it's not a knock at all. Um, he doesn't play every day. Um, Hayden Leatherwood kind of does, and no, I, that's not a knock at all. I think, frankly, what John Rice Plumley has done has not been talked about enough. He has become a very quality SEC baseball player. And then that's that took a lot of work because when he arrived at Ole Miss, he was not that. Um, not even close. So, you know, I, I will say this. Um, had the roles been reversed, had John Rice Plumley been up and TJ been behind him, they would have 100% bought it. I agree with that as well, which just kind of speaks to just the weird – That's crap luck. Yeah, absolutely. They just had such weird fortune. There's been so many just little things, and I need to start writing them down – that you felt like it happened over this four-week stretch where it's like, okay, if this one innocuous thing is different, it changes the entire game. And it's not even a woulda, coulda, shoulda game. It's the, it's the you know, dead leg in the outfield thing or if Plumlee's up instead of McCants. Like, it's just small. Or an umpire doesn't squeeze Hoagland. Yeah, exactly. Small stuff like that. It's like this team just can't catch a break because it is very odd that, you know, the team is playing very bad baseball and has been for a couple weeks now. But, like, you – we we come out here and we get on the mic every week and feel like that they found something else that was positive from each week ever. Like, well, I put another dollar in the swear jar. That stretch of that 2019 season or whatever, it's like, okay, these guys are just in a funk. This is all bad. But I swear three of these last four weeks, you found something to where it's like, okay, this team's close. This happened was good. I thought this week it was Sunday. The bullpen was – or the third game three was the bullpen and then also the diamond aspect, him pitching well. There's little sure. pieces in all this badness, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, but no, look, this, this weekend was – look, Ole Miss did not play well. But when you look at this weekend from a totality standpoint, okay, 
the offense was perfectly fine in games one and game three. They didn't get hits with runners in scoring position. And, and look, we, we've discussed this. I don't actually think that's a stat worth keeping because, frankly, Ole Miss <laughs> in SEC play, would you like to know what their – let's see, their batting average, and I do this without Elko, without Elko because, you know, obviously he's not part of the team right now. They are hitting 301 in SEC play. Do you know what their batting average with runners in scoring position is in SEC play? Just take a guess. 320. 310. 310. So they are essentially, not points difference, the same team with guys in scoring position. What happened was they hit 400 the first four weekends in the last two weekends. It's regressed because that's how math works. Um, they weren't good with guys in scoring position this weekend, and that's just kind of crap luck. So the one weekend your bullpen actually is pretty decent outside of a Jackson Kimbrell performance. Um you know, and obviously Broadway having a tough day. But the one weekend where if you're just okay with runners in scoring position, the regression monster comes out to get you. And I don't think that's an indictment of this offense at all, frankly. I mean, you talk about a team that hits 310 with runners in scoring position and leads the, conf the, the conference in conference games and OPS by like 50 points. Um, no, th this is a team that's totally fine uh, offensively. They just ran into some bad luck from an offensive standpoint. Now, look, there are some legitimate issues defensively that have to be addressed. Um, but frankly, I yes, losing four weekends in a row sucks. I think eventually Ole Miss is going to catch a break or two, and I think one of them probably comes this weekend. We'll get into this later in the week. Um, South Carolina is a very good matchup for Ole Miss. They're a bunch of right-handers that throw really hard. Um going to throw strikes, can't hit their way out of a wet paper sack. Um, so, yes, look, losing four weekends in a row, not acceptable. You're not, you're not playing good baseball if you do that. I do kind of, like you said, think there are some things where Ole Miss has just ran into shit luck at times, too. I agree with that. And then one last thought on the bun, and we'll move on, is that that's also not even close to why Ole Miss lost the baseball game on Friday. No. Just the reasons for putting it why they lost, I'd put it fifth or sixth. I wouldn't even put it on the scorecard, but – you know, I mean, well, try to find five things. I actually went through that exercise earlier today. It's actually harder than you think. Uh, I put it fifth or sixth. One, one, Broadway was bad. Two errors. Three, offensive performance with runners in scoring position. Four, uh, four, Leatherwood gets hurt. Five. Okay, maybe it's fifth. See, I did this exercise earlier today. I just, I had a lot. I have too much time on my hands. Anyway, move onward to onward to Friday. I thought Friday was by far their worst performance of the weekend. Um, that being said, not including Doug Nikhazy, because you put it well earlier, and I think you put it well in real time, maybe somewhere on the internet sphere. The kid had nothing, was not locating well. You could tell early on in the game he was not the Doug Nikhazy, you know, that you're used to seeing, and that happens. He just didn't have it, right? He leads off the game with a walk, a single. Um, there was a caught stealing somewhere in there. He gets out of the inning. He, point being, he just kept escaping jams. He was not locating well, and still – gives you six innings of one earned – I know he gave up two runs, but one earned run with three walks and 11 strikeouts. And you could argue in terms of, like, kind of, you know, having it or whatever, I would put that as, like, a C or D level for him. That's as bad as he would, like, quote-unquote look um, maybe all season. Yeah, no, I mean – and think about this, Ole Miss probably going to host a regional. LSU, look, while not a good team, uh, is probably equivalent to a three seed or, a, or maybe a low two seed. 
Um, so on Doug Nikhazy's worst night, he's able to go out and give you six innings and two runs, one earned run. Um, that to me tells me that this kid, when Ole Miss rolls into June, is going to be able to give every 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 chance to Ole Miss to win the baseball game. So yeah, like you said, not not near what he was in start. Well, obviously didn't have good stuff, battles his guts out. Um, you know, frankly, there were certain times that I think Mike, in a normal situation, gets him off the field. But you don't have that luxury with this bullpen. So he has to keep running him out there. And credit to Doug for continuing. Like that sixth inning, I think if Mike, you know, has his normal, you know, confidence in the bullpen, I think Doug comes out at a, at a, in it. But he just kept let, letting Doug make pitches. And credit to that kid. He gets off the field after starting bases loaded, nobody out, which wasn't all his fault. Um and gets out of it, giving up two. And frankly, he, he would only given up one if it wasn't for a chicken crap single that was hit to second base. I mean, it, you know, um, so uh, that, that kid battled his gut. So, hey, you know, everybody, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy into the whole competitor and all this stuff too much. But when you see a guy like Doug, man, he, he you can tell, uh, this is what I'll say about Doug, nothing phases that guy. And, and he's going to fight his tail off every time he goes out there. It's harder to buy into because it's harder to quantify, but there are certain things. I mean, this is sports. Like, it's not an exact science, and there are guys that just kind of battle. And I know that's like a coaching cliche thing, but there's a guy – like, even when you don't have it, I mean, you look at – I don't mean to, like – I don't mean to belittle someone else, like, on the roster or whatever, but, like, when you look at a Derek Diamond or someone like that, when they don't have it, like, things go to shit. And when Doug doesn't have it, he still kind of finds a way to get guys out. Some of that sure. – I think some of that is just kind of a ruthless mentality of kind of being a, a battler. Not very well, many have that. I don't even think that's a knock on dime for anyone else I could have used. Um, and it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch as well. Sure. Here, here's what I'll say about Doug, too, that I think has helped Doug. So, and I don't know if people all know the Doug Nikhazy story. He came into Ole Miss, and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong here, he arrived at Ole Miss in the fall of 2018 throwing about 85 to 86 miles an hour if i remember not great at all he was not on the radar at all no so so but he's the guy that has always had to just figure it out how to get people out and he's kept that mentality right of i'm just going to try to figure this out as his stuff's developed and now he's got this that great mindset with kind of really really good stuff now yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's really well said. And, like, he's kind of had to earn everything he's gotten because, I mean, you think of – when you think back to March of 2019, the man is still a midweek reliever. Uh, like, yeah. He's not that far removed from all of that. And I, I think that's a good point. I thought it was an interesting note you brought up about the bullpen. And maybe some of our listeners had a similar viewing experience as I did to what you were talking about where there's probably times in a normal situation where Mike gets him out, but he can't. I felt that same thing watching the game in my apartment on Saturday night, or excuse me, Friday night. I, I'm, I'm so bad at the days. We, we, <laughs> this was only podcast. We were a game two podcast. So game two, watching that game. I felt that same thing so many times in the middle innings of the game. And I, I think our listeners, have probably, most of them follow this pretty closely. I continually get impressed by the questions slash you know, comments slash statistics that people send you know, my way, your way. I think people who, who listen to this follow the baseball team very closely. It was a weird kind of inner, not inner struggle, but inner kind of mind game in that sense to where what exactly what you're talking about, there were probably 
three occasions where I was like, okay, you got to get him out of here immediately followed by the way. No, wait, no, you don't because you can't. There's no one else there. Like it's one of those things that I, I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting dynamic you brought up because I felt that same thing to where it's like, okay, probably time to get him out. Actually, no, it's not because who are you going to? Exactly. I mean, you know, who do you trust to keep you in this baseball game? And, you know, you would probably next weekend against South Carolina have some of those answers. Like in that situation, maybe you trust a Jack Doherty now. Uh, maybe you trust a, a West Burton now. Um, but, you know, you didn't have those answers on Friday night. So the best option you have is while he doesn't have his best stuff and he's probably running on fumes, your best option was was Doug Nikhazy. I'm looking here at the sixth inning. Um, Starting at the sixth inning, Dugas doubles, ground rule double. Doty singles through the left side. Dugas advances third. First and third. And then, you know, um, you think maybe you're going to get him out then because he's probably at right around 100 pitches and he's tired. And But, no, Mike leaves him in there and he rolls with him and then Ole Miss isn't able to and, – and here's what I'll say. Look, Ole Miss's bunt defense on Friday was horrific. The uh, sacrifice – or the, the, the squeeze one, there, there was nothing Ole Miss could do. That LSU ran a really good play. Um, you know, they have a right-handed hitter up. They steal the guy. There's guys on first and third. They steal the guy from first, so Peyton's going to break in to cover second base. They lay down the bunt. Well, Peyton's now got to go cover first base. Like, what? there's no way to defend that, right? Um, especially when Baker breaks to come get the ball because he bunts it down first base. There's nothing Ole Miss can do. The last two, obviously, uh, have to be defended better, and Peyton Chattanooga has to do a better job. But the the squeeze that gave LSU the run, there was literally nothing Ole Miss could do on that one besides, you know, if Kale Baker doesn't break. But he doesn't know that, you know, that, that Peyton Chattanooga is not going to be there. That one's, that one's the one that I find a little defensible. Are you talking about Chattanooga not covering the bag? Yes. 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 And where Doug had to go home because nobody was at first. Right, exactly. And so, like, my dad, te- my dad, like, rage texted me throughout the weekend about just the entire happenings <laughs> of the weekend. And I thought the same thing. But, like, in real time watching that on TV, I was like, why did Doug go home there? And then eventually, you know, you, I, they didn't show a replay, so I had to rewind it. To your point, Chatney was very late getting to the bag. Doug looked over there but had no other choice. So, I, I don't know. I, I think most people probably gathered that. But I made the mistake in real time of going, why the hell did he go home? But then I went out, once I watched it one more time, he looked to first base and there was no one there and he had no other choice. Yeah, and nobody could be there because Baker broke in. Uh, the hope there is that once Baker realizes, you know, Baker's holding the guy on, um, and we need to talk about him for a second. Um, once Baker's holding the guy on, once he sees he steals, Baker knows, hey, Doug's got this side of the mound. I can't break in. That's how you would hope that bunt defense works. Um, I don't know what defense Ole Miss was in there, obviously. But, you know, uh, that one's tough luck. But, frankly, I mean, Peyton Shatner the next two times just not touching first base on bunts is is pretty indefensible. Yeah, I agree. you got to be better there, and that's the fundamental things that we were referring to that Ole Miss just has not done very well and and has to do well. Um, There's Um, another team in the state that hasn't been very good at that either that cost them a series this week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Ole Miss has to do something at first base. I don't know if you keep him in the lineup. He's hitting fine, but he, he can't keep playing first base. It's 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 look, TJ McCants is not good in center field. Um TJ McCants has the opportunity 
opportunity and can at times be a good center fielder. And what I mean by that is he can go track a ball down if he does things correctly. Uh, Kel Baker can't be a good first baseman. They, they have to do something there. I, I lineup though. I, do what? Yeah, I agree with you. I'll but follow, I'll follow that. Sure. Uh, right now he's hitting, and but you know if he falls off the earth, you know you can plug somebody else in at DH, but. He, he's he cannot. He's not in the lineup because of his defensive prowess. No, he he can't keep playing first base. He's killing. Him. So I don't know if you're going to play Kemp Alderman now. I, I kind of doubt that he has an everyday role. Maybe he does, but whatever you do, if it's moving Graham in, if it's throwing a first baseman mitt on TJ McCants, stolen one on Leatherwood. Hell, I don't care. Somebody's got to go play first base. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And you know what sucks about that? And not to give Ole Miss fans PTSD, they had the first base thing figured out until your man got hurt, right? Well, yeah. And I you mean, talk, you think about, I say that to, to add on to it with this. You think about the time of that injury and what happened. Can you imagine what this team looks like and what this roster and this offense looks like? That the Elko injury doesn't happen and then Kale Baker slides into DH? Holy cow. How? How – what is – all right, so they're 10 and 8. Since they played nine games without Elko, they are 3 and 6 in them. 12 what's and their re- – What's their record in those nine games with Elko plush? It's oh, not 3 and 6. No, no, I agree. I, I guess so a different way of answering your question is 5 and 4. Yeah. I think My I'm fine. It's, it's at least 4 and 4. And 6 instead of 10 and 8. Yeah. It's, it's at least 11 and 7 or 12 and 6 if – if Elko's healthy. Frankly, I mean, if if Gunner pitches on Thursday, this team's 11 and 7, you know, and so it's just they've not played well, but if you if you really want to think that that they've had, you know, if they've not had some good some bad luck go against them, I can't really help you there either. I mean, I, I have no doubt that if Gunner takes the ball on Thursday night, they win the baseball game. Part of this team's funk that they've been in as well, and I'm, I'm kind of pivoting from what you said. I agree. I, I was about to ask if you could name any good luck this team has had, but good luck, you don't ever remember it particularly. Yeah, that's, that's tough, yeah. But they haven't had a ton of it from my knowledge, like from my memory. I mean, you you don't get prelip against Alabama, but he's not he's, – he's only thrown one SEC inning all year. I mean, he didn't pitch today. So, you know, everybody's not getting prelip, really. Exactly. So – Anyway, kind of pivoting off of that, though, you talk about the – I got a text from a buddy that listens to this show on uh, Friday night, kind of in the midst of things really, really going bad in the middle innings for this game for Ole Miss and this Friday night loss. And it, it's it's a combination of them not doing the little things well. And they also have – they just have guys doing very uncharacteristic things. And the fourth inning comes to mind where Ole Miss is down – I guess at that point Ole Miss is down what – no, no, zero, zero. No, there's no, yeah, there's no score through four. Yeah, excuse me, I'm getting my nights mixed up. It's a rock fight, zero, zero game through four. It's it's who can leave a small village on the base pass and who can leave a larger one. Like sure. it, it's a lot. Like it, it it's not going great. Ole Miss gets the first two guys on, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was what? Levin. It was Chatney. Chatney singled, and then done, and then Graham singled, and Chatney got to third. So you had first and third, but Graham should have advanced to second on the throw to third. And that became important. So maybe what I'm – no, I'm trying to find something else. Maybe it was the – hold on. Let me make sure I have the right one. No, th- this is the inning where they have first and third and then Dunhurst pops up and bench grounds into the double play and you don't score. Yes, they, so that's the that's the inning I'm talking about. You're right. So, they, you know, 
I thought that was one of Dunhurst's worst at bats of the year. Like he doesn't really do a whole lot of that. You know what I mean? Like he's he's a good and a savvy enough, a smart enough, and a talented enough hitter to kind of get something done if you're going to have an out, have it be a productive out there. And he swings at a bad pitch and he pops it up and then they hit a ball really hard just right at someone that ends up. That's yeah, yeah. That the, the people got on bench for that. It's like man, he hit. He that's why you get. It's, it yeah, was that's why you hit that ball with one out or with no outs. What'd you say? That's why you hit that ball with no outs because even if it's double play, then it's it's one to nothing. With with one out, you hit that ball and now you don't score. That ball was crushed. Now, yes, it was. Could not uh, could not agree more. Like, and like, if you want to place blame for that inning and why they didn't score that inning, that's a. Uh, that's that's oh that's why I couldn't find it. I'm looking at the wrong damn game. Sorry, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Fourth inning here, but no, that's exactly right. It, but if you want to place blame on that one, it it's the it's Dunhurst's fault there. Like, sure. Or like Bench knocked the hell out of that ball. But that, it, again, I say all of that to kind of make the point where it's, it's just dudes that don't normally do stuff like that, having really uncharacteristic mistakes. Like when Chatagnier singles and Kevin Graham singles, you look. Eight and a half times out of ten, Ole Miss is getting one, maybe probably yeah. more than one run there. Yeah. And it's just and not happening for them right now. I thought so, that was a microcosm of the weekend. And I, and I think a little bit of this happened on Friday night. And, and we, we can talk about this here in a little bit. I think of a little bit of Friday night was Ole Miss started pressing at the plate because you're not getting it done. I mean, you think about it now. This, this, this offense went – they scored – they go ahead in the fifth, I believe it was, or, yeah, the bottom of the – Maybe the bottom of the sixth against LSU. Um, maybe it was the fifth. I don't know. Um, you know, they, they, they take the lead, and then they're just not able – I think it was the, the sixth. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, they're not able to score. And then for the first, what, five innings, they don't score until Kevin Graham's able to hit a ball over the wall. So, you really still don't put anything together there. They were, they were abysmal with guys in scoring position. And, frankly, I thought they started to press on Friday. Um, and that's why I thought Saturday was a little bit more important than you because I think Saturday when they got down nine to one, they just said the hell with it, man. We're just going to go play. And lo and behold, they come back winning the baseball game. And I, I think that lets them breathe a little bit. Whereas reality is they're 10 and 8 have lost four series in a row. But if you tell those kids on those teams what, you know, what happened recently, they would say we – came back from eight runs down to beat LSU. Like, I don't think they're going to think of it in the context of they've lost four series in a row. I think they're going to think of it as, hey, man, we just beat LSU after being down nine to one in the eighth. We're, we're, we're okay. And But that's why I think that was important on Saturdays because, man, they look tight and they look scared and they look timid on Friday night. Yeah, I agree. And that's probably as good as a transition to any for the comeback. So – you know, you get into the Saturday game, it, it becomes about as bad. I mean, as bad as you've seen it all year. It's it's a lethargic performance. Drew McDaniel was not very good. The offense was not very good. They're down nine to one with four outs remaining. Yep. I mean, well, you get the McCann, yeah. you get McCann single, Baker strikeout, Alderman flyout, right? I mean, that's it, you got four outs left. Van Cleve walk, Gonzalez single, Chatagnier. Homer. Homer. Graham single. Yeah. Uh, Gonzalez single scores one. Chatagne Homer makes it nine to five. Then you go Kevin Graham single, Dunhurst HBP, bench walk, 
McCants Grand Slam, and all of a sudden you look up and it's nine nine. It's like how the hell did this happen? Good on them for not quitting. Like that 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 was that was something else. Well, that all came out. All came with two outs, and all came out of it. Again, I, I think there was a level of oh screw it. Like they, you know, everything else has gone to hell. Let's just go play and look. It takes a little luck, no doubt. Um, if you remember, Justin Bench probably gets a, a call go his way that winds up in pulmonary getting ejected. Um, you know, it took a little luck, no doubt. But I do think there was an element in that eighth inning of, oh, the hell with it. Let's just go play. And they stopped pressing. Because, man, the the first 26 innings this team played or 25 innings this team played offensively this weekend just kind of looked like they were pressing. Um, and, and they don't now, or they did in that inning. And like I said, if you ask this team what they did recently, the answer wouldn't be we've lost four series in a row. It would be we erased an eight-run deficit in the eighth inning and beat LSU. So what I'm hopeful for is that lets them open up and, and lets them just go play against South Carolina. Because, frankly, it, this offense is really, really good. It's one of, if not the best offenses in the country from a statistical perspective. Um, and, and if they'll just go play, I think this offense has a chance to, to win them a lot of baseball games. Credit to T.J. McCants for not waiting at all, too, because that kid was throwing, like, kind of wild. He lets bench – he had a wild pitch. Well, he lets bench walk, and then T.J. McCants' first pitch is like, uh, sorry, this thing's tied. Yeah, so, so frankly, I mean, you know, the, the, this sounds stupid, but the quickest way to tie the game was a home run. And the best chance you're going to have to hit a home run is the 0-0 pitch, as Kemp Alderman did the next inning. Um, so, you know, you got a good hitter at the plate, turn it loose. I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's what they told him and, and credit to him, man. He made it happen. Uh, that was big. And, you know, there was a lot of elements that goes into Saturday, right? Because without Jack Doherty's performance, without the scoreless inning from Tyler Myers, without the scoreless inning from Taylor Broadway, this doesn't happen. Um, you know, so there, there were a lot of things that probably don't get talked about because, they were they were irrelevant until Ole Miss came back that wound up actually being important. Yeah, for sure. It's easier to pitch in a nine-to-one game, but Jack Doherty gives you three and a third of one run on one hit with three strikeouts and a walk. That'll play. Sure. Um, you know, it comes into a situation where it's eight-to-one, and let me make sure I'm saying this right. They have guys on first and third, and he's able to get out of the inning. I mean, you know, they had a ball in the gap there. It's ten-to-one. Are you able to come back at ten-to-one? Um, you know, and so just, just a lot of different things that happen. Obviously, you know, they pull Leatherwood from the game because they played him in right field and he couldn't really run, still kind of battling a bone bruise, I believe. And, you know, so they put Kemp Alderman in and, you know, obviously you get to the ninth inning and uh, that, that kid, I don't know if you've seen it. I know you said you were on the golf course. That ball was the hardest hit ball I have ever seen. It, not the farthest because Graham actually hit one farther this weekend but the hardest hit ball I have ever seen in that stadium. I got sent it within seconds. Uh, I was walking around somewhat keeping up with the game. You know, it became 9-9 so fast. I was walking around following my guy, Buckley, and all of a sudden I was like, I was like, oh, shit, like this, this score happened. I had a really good analysis in my, uh, in my group. Me, I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted the photo of it. It said uh, when, the, when TJ come out, came out uh, when it was nine to five. I said, okay, TJ, hit it out. And I'll be damned if the man didn't. Uh, that's a, that's a, that is great analysis. Cause that did help the team. If you hit it out. <laughs> I just said hit it out. <laughs> and to, 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 to that kid, he's got a ton of power. And I, and oh I, man. 
and it, I'm, I say, like, I, I, I feel bad always saying hidden power because I used to do it with Kevin Graham, and now he hits nukes left and right. But, man, that kid's had power from day one. And whatever you think about him playing out of position in center field, if that frustrates you, it's not easy to hit in the SEC as a freshman. And he is pretty much – I say pretty much hit from day one. He struggles with velocity, sometimes still has. From the time he became an everyday dude, he has hit and hit and hit, and that is not easy to do, and they've needed it. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, TJ McCants, I want to look at this before I say what I think I'm about to say because I, I think I'm accurate in this. Uh, in 2018, Tyler Keenan hit 301 with a 911 OPS. Let's see what TJ McCants is hitting. Uh, TJ McCants is hitting 345 with a 975 OPS. So he is much better than Tyler Keenan was as a freshman. Think about that now. And Tyler Keenan was absurd as a freshman. TJ McCants is better. And now, he, yes. Who did Tyler Keenan great. as a freshman, too, to earn the position he had? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's – Yeah, you know, so – T.J. McCants is, is likely one of the best freshmen that has played for Ole Miss in a long, long time. Yeah, I wish they'd just get him the hell out of center field so people would stop negging him for that because it's not really his fault. But I could not agree more. You'll appreciate this. So I'm walking down at this tournament. And uh, so uh, B- Hayden Buckley grew up an Ole Miss fan, keeps up with baseball. <laughs> and at this, this web tour event, it's, it's not the same – or Corn Ferry, it's not the same thing as PGA Tour events from like – I mean, there's ropes. Like, I can't just go walk in the middle of the fairway with the dude. But, like, there's not as much, like, blocking off and security and all that. Like, because there's not as many people there. So, we're (laughs) – I'm watching him. It's early on Saturday. And we're walking up the 17th fairway or whatever. And he's just kind of shooting the shit after me. What's wrong with the baseball team? Yeah. (laughs) Well, dude, they don't have anybody in the bullpen that can get out. And Hayden was a baseball player, and one of the reasons his story is so cool and why he ended up as a walk-on at Missouri is because he was kind of a late bloomer because he was kind of tooling around playing baseball before he decided to commit to golf. And he was like, well, I think I technically still have a COVID year of eligibility left. And I was like, could you throw a strike, sir? And he was Because <laughs> like, Mike needs your number. He was like, I think – I was like, if you could throw a strike, they could use you. And then he starts kind of counting on his fingers – like, to see if, like, if he has a semester of eligibility left. And I was like, I'm glad you're taking this as seriously as I am because if you can throw strikes, they'll get you a uniform, pal. <laughs> that is great. That's awesome. He was, yeah, like, awesome. he was like, what's wrong with this team? And I was like, we're going to need a much longer fairway than this, man. Uh, <laughs> but I just found that funny. I was like, so, I don't know. They might should try that. If Mike Bianco is listening to this, I, I found you a bullpen arm. I think he's right-handed presumably, but, um, yeah, he was like, what's wrong with this group? And that's probably as good a transition to, any, to what we were talking about, where I was like, hey, man, they don't have any anybody in the bullpen that they trust to get out. And I thought Saturday was a good enough example of that and what they could potentially be, because as bad a way as this team is off in and as bad as the first two games look, if they get some semblance of bullpen help, you're never out of a game with this offense. No, no, absolutely not. So, um, no, this offense is is really, really good and, and can, uh, you know, man, this offense has a chance to be elite next year, just kind of thinking about it. But this year, you know, obviously um, really good. And, and if this bullpen, like you said, can just be competent, uh, they've got a chance to be really good down the stretch. And I think they're starting to get some bullpen help. I think this team's going to be fine. You know, look, I'm a homer. I'll, I'll admit that. I don't have to cover Ole Miss anymore. I, so, 
I, I, I kind of see things through red, red and blue glasses. But there is part of me that just thinks, you know, the weekend that they're actually decent out of the bullpen, they don't get hits with runners in scoring position. Like, I, I do, do kind of think at some point this team will put it together and go on some kind of run. I, uh, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. And that was kind of the point I wanted to get into is kind of joking about how the bullpen help and a lack thereof it. That did happen on Saturday. And granted, it's a 9-1 game, but Jack Doherty was really good. And, and now I'm blanking on the box score or whatever because I just tried to – I just clicked. I can't use a computer is basically long story short. Um, <laughs> Myers was good right behind him, and Taylor Broadway was obviously good like he normally is right behind him. Like, they pieced it together. The, the five innings, five and a third innings that those two put up – and I know – Austin Miller wasn't great, and he allows another run, but kind of comes in with the tough situation with what Drew McDaniel started with. But the point was they got bullpen confidence. Granted, it came in an 8-1, to 9-1 to game, whatever it was, and it's probably a little easier to pitch in that sense because it's not a whole lot of pressure pack. It's certainly not high leverage. But they did receive a lot of that on Saturday. They got five and two-thirds innings from three guys in a bullpen that combined to allow one earned run on two hits. That's good. Yeah, no, the bullpen was great. You know, I, I, I'll just be honest, man. I turned it off when it was nine to one. I, I was pissed off. Uh, I had things I needed to do to do, so I turned it off. I didn't watch Jack Doherty pitch. Went back and watched his outing today. Look, I'm I'm no pitching guru by any stretch of the imagination. I like to think I know what I'm looking at from a little bit of a perspective, but man, that stuff plays. It, it really does, and the track man data. It, it tells you that it's it's real stuff. And I, I think there's a real reason to be excited about that kid. Uh, look, I know it's it's a weird situation where he red certs half the year, but I'm telling you, if Mike's telling the truth, and I have no reason to believe that he's not, um, and he's added four to five miles of velo over the last two months, there's a real chance he is a weapon for Ole Miss. And I don't mean like he's going to have a 2-2 ERA, but I think he can be as good as Max Trophy would have been for this team. Uh, I agree with – so, I, I agree with most of that. And, you know, there's a – there's – I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I know it's a 9-1 to one game, but, one, just seeing him on the weekend, I think, is a testament to the staff believing him in a little bit. And he also – they also went to him before they went to Tyler Myers. And I know they went to Broadway for the second time in a weekend, um, you know, when that thing did get tied and it's a different situation. But, like, there were three, four other dudes that he could have put in in quote-unquote garbage time if that exists in baseball, and they went to him instead. So I, I think there's – I don't think that's completely insignificant, even though it was an eight-to-one game or whatever it was at the time when he entered the ball game. I think when they went to him after Austin Miller on Sunday was uh, kind of a little bit of, of showing belief in this kid. We believe in him, and we believe in using him on the weekends, even though it was a blowout at the Frankly, to me, I thought it was a little bit silly that at eight to one or whatever they went to Austin Miller because, and, and I said this, and I, I was a little bit of a smart ass this weekend because I was just pissed off. Um, I, I thought it was ridiculous they went to Austin Miller because you know what Austin Miller can do, right? Like at eight to one, you're probably. I th I took that as a okay. Can you go put up a zero and get outs, which he didn't exactly do, but. I, I took that as him being bad and them just trying to get him some work and kind of, like, see something positive. Sure. My thing there was uh, – let's see what somebody else has. Let's okay, see what Jack – let's see what Jack Doherty has. Let's see what Cody Adcock has. Let's see what Brandon Johnson has. Let's see. 
Um, and and that's why I, I wish they would have just kind of gone to Doherty right after McDaniel to after McDaniel came out and said, "All oh, the hell with it. Let's just let's just see what we got in these dudes." Are you worried about Drew McDaniel? No, no. Uh, that I, I listen to. I listen to Mike's post game and. Mike, look, I you can have all the criticisms of Mike. Um, I do. I, I do think I, I do think he was telling the truth when he said this that he didn't think Drew pitched badly. LSU was just locked in, and he, it was one of those days. Um, so no, I'm not worried about Drew McDaniel. I, I think he will take the ball on Sunday against South Carolina next weekend, assuming Gunner is okay. And I'm not going to be the guy that says I have a source or whatever, but I think Gunner's okay. I think he's completely fine. Yeah, so that was another weird part of it. And, and honestly, I, from the very few notes I write down before we do this podcast, that was just a complete omission because of everything that else happened this weekend. Um, that was weird the way that played out because all signs seemed to point that he was cool to be used at some point on the weekend. Like, I, I thought he might – not might pitch. He's not taking – I thought he was going to pitch in game three, and, and he didn't. I, I, I still tend to believe he's fine, and from the – you know, I'm not nearly as plugged in as I was when I was, like, actually paid to do this outside of uh, Greg and Skybox. Check them out. Uh, shout out. But, like, when I did this for a full full time, I'm not nearly as locked in. But the, everything I gathered seemed to be that he was fine. But they also didn't use him this weekend, which I thought was weird. Uh, all right. So, what do you make of that? I, there was I think in there. So, all right, here's what I make of it. The first thing I make of it is they didn't want to use him in the bullpen. So if they were going to use him, he had to start. Secondly, I, I think they just wanted to make sure he was 100%. And I think if he would have felt okay on Saturday, and I don't, I shouldn't, I, I'll probably just freak a lot of people off. I think if he would have felt a lot better for, on Saturday than he did on Friday, they would have, they would have pitched him. So what happened was, and this is a little bit of what Mike said and what, what I've gathered. Um, Thursday, doesn't you know obviously has the bicep tightness i think they said it was in his bicep and and frankly just was not in good enough shape to pitch uh come friday night friday he wakes up and feels a lot better and and they think all right he's going to be on track and if he gets you know this if this improves by tomorrow he'll be 100 percent fine to pitch well on, on saturday when they woke up it you know obviously it was a lot better on friday night than it was on thursday night but on saturday it wasn't a lot better from friday night does that make sense like he, he got a lot better on friday but it, the, sure. it, the the impact from friday to saturday was very minimal and they just said okay like at this point we're gonna score plenty of runs today let's just and we're not gonna pitch him out of the bullpen let's just and we don't want to have to you know mess drew up let's just start drew and say he's unavailable and give him the weekend i have and, look, I'm the first one to freak out about injuries about Ole Miss baseball. I have zero reason to believe he will not take the mound next Friday night versus South Carolina. Zero. Okay, so I agree with that. So, But if you felt okay to pitch him and you mentioned you don't want to use him out of the bullpen, why not use McDaniel out of the bullpen? I just – I think that they would have had he felt a lot better on Saturday than he did on Friday. I think that was the guideline. Fair is, he a lot, is he a lot better on Saturday than he is Friday? If he's not, he's not going. Um, and look, I mean, let's just state the obvious. You're not taking a chance with a top 15 pick. Look, there, there's there's just twofold here. Did Ole Miss need to win Saturday? Yes, they were lucky they won the baseball game. Ole Miss, one, needs Gunnar Hoagland for the rest of the year. The, the, this team is going to be remembered for what they do in June, not for what they do in April. Gunnar Hoagland has to be on this team, has to be pitching well come June. You don't sacrifice 
possibly having that for a Saturday game against LSU. Number two, you just take care of Gunnar Hoagland because he's going to make a whole hell of a lot of money here in about two months. Agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I just thought if he was kind of well enough to pitch that, like, obviously you would start him and use McDaniel out of the bullpen. Uh, One more thought I'll throw by you. I don't even agree with what I'm saying here, but I'm just going to throw the thought by you. With the way Derek Diamond pitched and then the way that Drew McDaniel pitched, does that change anything for you on the third leg of this rotation with the healthy Gunnar Hoagland? All right. I'm going to present something to you, and I don't – and no, for me, no. But I think here, it's here, for me too, but if you give it another week, yeah. Okay, here's what I'll say. Uh, Drew McDaniel's a guy relatively not, – not, he doesn't throw slow. No, he's 90-91 pretty consistently, pretty good breaking ball. Is there a world where Drew McDaniel is a better matchup for some teams and Drew and Derek Diamond is a better matchup for other teams? I like where you're going with this. There is absolutely a world. I just kind of think that announcing maybe – look, I don't think – I think Drew McDaniel – If if let's, I'll put it this way. If Ole Miss has to beat Texas to go to Omaha, Drew McDaniel on the mound, okay? Like, if, if it's just generic, who do, who do I think is the better pitcher? I think that answer is, is, is Drew McDaniel. I just kind of think, and frankly, I think this weekend may be an instance that Derek Diamond does present some matchup issues at times, and you could maybe use him against certain teams like South Carolina. Now, let me say this. What is that against, matchup, by the way, just to, to, to feed into where you're going? Do like, what? what? What are you talking – like, I, I know where you're going with this. I'm just to, to um, into that. Like, so, what are you talking about? Like, specifically. So, South Carolina, South Carolina, yeah, South Carolina struggles with power arms. That they have a less than 600 OPS on Friday and Saturday. They mash on Sunday. They hit 935 on Sundays from an OPS standpoint. Um, they struggle mightily with power arms to the point that South Carolina pitches backwards. They go three, two, one in their rotation. Um, so. I just kind of think that if I look at that and I see their numbers against velocity, that, that Derek Diamond might be a better matchup. Now, I don't necessarily think Mike's going to do that. Matter of fact, I know he's not. Yeah, I, was about to say, um, I can go ahead and guarantee you that's not happening, but go ahead. I just kind of think, look, I, I think Derek Diamond will pitch this weekend and pitch in a big situation. And frankly, I think he's going to pitch well against South Carolina because from everything I've seen and been told and, and kind of scouted on South Carolina, they struggle really badly against velocity. So I think, you know, he's a guy that, that, you know, in whatever role they have been is going to have success this weekend. I just think if, look, and, and I do this from a, what would I do not knowing these kids, not being around these kids, not having a pulse on this team or whatever. If it were me, you know, Joe Blow, I would just kind of on Sundays, you know, think, see who I thought was a better matchup for my opponent instead of naming a starter. That being said, Drew McDaniel will be announced as the Sunday starter this weekend in South Carolina, no doubt in my mind. I agree with that as well. And he should be. And he should be. Oh, absolutely. I was just posing the question and throwing it out there for the sake of conversation. The other part of that, too, is I keep forgetting that we did the live show and it was not in podcast form, and then I wrote about it in the newsletter. We should not undervalue what Drew Mc- – excuse me, what Derek Diamond did on Thursday. It was awesome. Mike said in his postgame that they told him at 2.30 there was a chance and then told him at 3.15 or 3.30 or whatever it was that he's starting – and then to go out there and your defense make three errors and you allow two earned runs in the first inning with his – look, I guarantee the kid always has belief in himself. I'm not saying that. Athletes are incredibly almost irrationally confident by nature. But his confidence from what had happened to him this season to this point had to be shaken to some degree. You're only human. For sure. him to do what he did 
after the defense kicked the ball around like that and him knowing three hours before the game, two and a half hours before the game, that he's finally – like that's when he figures out he's going to start was absolutely remarkable to me. I saw that. I know everyone was pissed off and if you're rooting for Ole Miss and all that after the game. But when I saw that note that they found out that, that he found out that he was actually starting for sure at 3.30, that was remarkable to me. What he did on that notice after that start was as impressive as anything I've ever seen. I've ever seen. As impressive I've seen from anyone from this Ole Miss program in the last five years. That was awesome. Yeah, no, when you consider that, he was great. Look, he needs that, and Ole Miss needs Derek Diamond. That, that's a two-fold street. Ole Miss needs Derek Diamond, Derek Diamond needs Ole Miss. This, this team is not going anywhere, frankly, uh, near the state of Nebraska if Derek Diamond does not pitch well. So, um, extremely awesome to see him pitch well. Really happy for him. Um, you know, there are a lot, I'm happy for a lot of people this weekend, man. You know, obviously, we hadn't really talked about it, but Kemp Alderman, it's a guy, mm-hmm. man, that redshirted. And he drew. He grew up dreaming of playing at Ole Miss. And look, this weekend did not go how they wanted it to. But this kid hits a walk-off home run in his first SEC game against you know one of their biggest rivals to to kind of save a weekend. That that what an awesome experience for that kid. Like that you know again, this kid is grew up dreaming of yeah. This kid grew up dreaming of playing at Ole Miss and was you know to have that experience. Man, it's tough to beat that. It'll be hard to beat that, you know, for the rest of your experience, your career at Ole Miss. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence he ended up shirtless a few seconds later. <laughs> Ball was that, that is a cool moment. What do you uh, – I know we talked about this a little bit in the midweek. I agree. Cool moment for Kemp Alderman. That was awesome. Uh, you know, a guy that – you know, as highly rated as he was, everyone kind of expected him to come in and contribute immediately, and that just doesn't happen for a lot of guys. But I was trying to – Maybe I was talking about with Hayden, too, on the golf course. My world's really crossed wires while I'm trying to explain Ole Miss baseball while standing on a golf course this weekend. <laughs> but I forget who I was talking about this with. What do you make of the whole Alderman thing, though? I, I don't want to bring up, like, so, an issue when it comes – like, why Why was the red shirt yanked? Like, great moment for him. All right. I, I still don't understand it. So, so I'm not sure. Have you listened? And I, I'm not. I'm not sure if you have or not. Have you listened to Mike's post game from Saturday? I have not yet. No. Okay. I've done that for this podcast, but I just drove here and we started. So, so here's what Mike said. Mike said, and and this was an issue with a, a another highly rated kid last year that is transferred and is playing in another school now. I'm not gonna say his name, but you know, he was a shortstop. So there was a hitch in his swing, which that is a big deal. It's what caused J.B. Woodman to not be able to have success at the professional level after being able to dominate at, the Ole, at Ole Miss. Uh, there was a hitch in his swing. There was a hitch in his hands, and it kept him from being on time for fastballs. It kept him behind or in front of breaking balls. He, was able, he wasn't able to, to read span. He was having to get – that's because of this hitch, which, you know, and, and people don't understand with baseball, right? Like, this isn't something like, oh, let's just go fix it in two days. No, this is something that takes thousands and thousands of repetitions to get out of. They did not think they would be able to rid of this hitch by, you know, any time this season. Well, sure enough, the kid's gotten rid of it, and it's just been mashing in what they call con- controlled scrimmages to the point that, Mike said, I believe it was on Saturday, but it may have been after University of Arkansas Little Rock game, that they considered DHing him in Starkville last week, but they didn't think that, that was fair to do in front of 13,000 people. I think, frankly, had Leatherwood been healthy on Friday enough to play right field, that he would have DHed on Friday. Um, 
they think this kid can contribute. Now, is that every day? I don't know. Um, but this is this is not a let's just try to make him happy so he doesn't he transfer situation. No, no, no. They think this kid who has, as Mike Bianco said, freakish power, the most his, the, the most power in the history of their program since he's been here, uh, they think this kid can contribute and contribute in 2020. Two thoughts. One, I will never believe anyone has more power than Chase Cockrell batting practice power. But no, they, they, they said this isn't even close in batting practice. <laughs> Paul Maneri gave him a standing ovation after batting practice Saturday. What? Yeah. Literally gave this man a, he was like, they said he was sitting in the dugout and Kemp got through hitting like tanks onto the tennis courts. He said he came out of the dugout and just clapped for the kid. Interesting move. Does Mike Bianco do that for anyone? <laughs> anyway. think Mike knows any of the other players' names or just, does he just call him my number? I keep waiting for a college team to shift on Mike Bianco and just to see the brain melt in front of the thing, but that's a different conversation for another day. I, I that's an interesting note because I had not watched Mike's presser yet from Saturday, which I clearly should have. That's a great note you pointed out there. That's interesting. You mentioned the hitch and the swing. So be that as it may, kids still, you know, he did strike out three times in the midweek. He had another one this weekend. I'm not, I'm not knocking him for that. I say all that to say, you know, you mentioned he can contribute as that every day. At a certain point, if you think this kid can contribute and he's your DH, your DH is not giving you very much at all. So, Far, do you just live with it? Because I do think there's something to be said for giving him regular at-bats. Oh, if if I am them, so here's what I do. This is me. This is not what I think Ole Miss will do. He is my first baseman against right-handed pitching. Um, and then I don't I, – I play Ben Van Cleve against left-handed pitching because, frankly, over the past two weekends, Ben Van Cleve's hitting 400 and most of that damage is coming against left-handed pitching. I play him at DH against left-handed pitching, and I have to figure out, do I want to play Kale Baker at first base or do I want to play Kemp Alderman at first base? Um, I do think that if at this point with what Calvin Harris is contributing that it's probably wise to just let Alderman play first base against, against right-handed pitching. I don't hate that idea. It's interesting that they're still finding this kind of stuff out with two dudes that they've ripped a red shirt off of. I mean, can you imagine if this team does figure it out and you get to mid-May or early May, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, and they're, you know, in hosting position or hell get to the postseason. And it's because of Jack Doherty and Kemp Alderman in large part. Did you have um, that hard? So, so yeah, that that's insane to think about. And, but here's the thing that I discussed with somebody this weekend. I think that even if this team, like people are doing, oh, they're just trying anything and seeing if it'll work. No, no, I think if this team was 13 and five, I think they still would have took the red shirts off these guys because I think they think they can contribute. Like this isn't throwing a Hail Mary. I think these guys have just gotten really, really good in controlled scrimmages and they're worth having an opportunity. This is not Paul Maneri just shaking up the back end of the travel. No, 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 no. Youngins can do is what you're saying. Did, did, did you see how that worked on Saturday? It did not work out for him on Saturday, but he did get the series win, so maybe he should just keep shaking up. Maybe well, it wasn't it wasn't because of his freshman pitchers. No, it wasn't, but maybe you know, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little superstitious. If I'm him, I'm just rotating dudes in and out of uniform until I lose another series. There you go. Um so so I, I want before we go, I I did find out this weekend, and I believe this is accurate. Uh, everybody asked about are they announcing where super sites will be on May 10th. I believe this is the way it's going to go. 
I think they're going to announce the 16 host sites on May 10th. And then the super regional sites will be will come from those eight seeds, but they will not give out national seeds, uh, therefore not letting you know where the supers will be until Memorial Day. So if you're talking about an Ole Miss from a national seed perspective, there's still plenty of time, but you have to be one of those hosts to be able to be one of those national seeds, and that is over in two weeks. I was about to ask that. So in your mind, what do they need to do in two weeks and where do they lie? Uh, four and two is a hundred percent lock three and three. You're sweating a little bit. I think you're safe two and four. You have no prayer. So, um, I think I would agree with that. I think you should go four and two to remove all doubt. And granted, I haven't sat down and I'll do this tomorrow before I do the newsletter and kind of look around at what the, the numbers are and what everyone else has done. I, um, I actually went through cause I was bored today. I had Ole Miss as the number 13 seed. So you had three teams behind you with a pretty decent gap from 13 to 16. Which goes to show, and, you know, that's why that whole win on the, on Saturday was not insignificant at all. You know, I mean, they do still have problems, but it's certainly important. And the second part of, about that is, is, as much as it seems like the sky's falling, yes, I know that it almost 13 has not lost four series in a row since 2002, but as much as it seems the sky is falling, like, on paper, where they currently stand is still decent position. Sure. And you've got, you know, Obviously, your first goal is make sure you host. That's no doubt. Second goal is be a national seed. And, and it's good in my mind that, you know, obviously I, I didn't know because, you know, the way Kendall wrote it, it was they're going to announce 16 host sites and then eight super sites. But from what I understand and re- going back and rereading what Kendall wrote, they're just announcing the 16 sites and the eight super hosts will come from those 16 sites. So if you're Ole Miss, you still have time to, to uh, be a national seed. You don't have to get that done in two weeks because if you're talking about being a national seed, this team needs to go five and one or six and zero oh in the next two weeks. And uh, you know, as you know, much as I'd like for that to happen, I don't really see it. Um, so there, there's still time to improve on a national seed resume. But the the most important thing is over the next six games, Ole Miss needs to go four and two so they don't make tenth when they announce hosting sites. Uh, you don't have to sweat about being one. Yeah, so for anyone that's still confused about that whole deal like I have been, and this is not a knock on Kendall or Aaron or anyone else that covers the sport on a national basis. I think it's actually a product from no one else really covering it on a national basis to where on these bigger stories, you know, even in the NBA, like someone breaks news and then someone other, another news outlet kind of adds a little more context to the story. Sure. Another news outlet kind of finds another nugget about the same story and you kind of start crystallizing what the grand picture of whatever that said story or news happening is where Kendall and Aaron outside of a couple of dudes from Baseball America is essentially it. And so what they're getting is the story. And it's not a knock on them for not having 100% clarity there. But I think you're right in the sense that, like, it has been confusing the way the information has come out and the way it's been conveyed, which is just totally stunning from an organization like the NCAA to not be clear <laughs> about that point. But say that, be that as it may, all that ended up being – was them announcing the 16 host sites a couple weeks early because they feel they need more time to get proper COVID protocols in place. That's literally all that ended up being. Yep. That's all this is going to be. So, um, yeah. And you know, they kind of freaked everybody out, but here's reality, man. You know, and and I wish they wouldn't do it like this. And I hate the 50% attendance thing. That one really, really bothers me, but it's another story for another day. Um, Reality is that 14 of these 16, maybe 15 of these 16, we're going to be host on Memorial Day anyways. Like, it's it's not going to change a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, sure. Like, Ole Miss in 2000 – well, frankly, Ole Miss on May 10th in 2019 would have been a host. What killed Ole Miss from a host perspective was getting swept by 
uh, Mississippi State losing two to Tennessee. So that's kind of my point. Like these teams that are going to get announced on May 10th as hosts would probably have been announced on May 31st or whenever the hell they announced it anyways. I agree. Last couple of things before we look around the league, talk some spring football and then get out of here. Uh, first question I have for you, do you feel any better about the bullpen at all? After oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Jack Gordy is, is is going to be a very big contributor. I mean, you know, it gets overlooked. Tyler Myers has a scoreless inning, which that's good. Uh, I think Derek Diamond is going to – look, I think the confidence helped. You know, you think about him as a bullpen piece and not a starter. Uh, I think him being able to have that starting outing is, is going to certainly help him from a confidence perspective. And then West Burton provides something. Uh, you know, two innings, two scoreless innings before, you know, has to get pulled off in the third inning. I, I thought he was good. So, yeah, I feel a whole lot better than I did uh, after the past two weekends about this bullpen for sure. I think I agree because you're getting Diamond back in the bullpen. Doherty pitched pretty well. Taylor Broadway's not going to pitch like he did on Thursday night, you know, 90% of the time. I think I agree. I would like to see someone in the group of – and Doherty could probably still fall in this group. I would like to see someone in the group of Austin Miller, Braden Forsythe, uh, Tyler Myers, and Wes Burton, who I actually thought was pretty good in that Friday game. I'd like to see them get out and get in, like out of a sticky situation or put up a zero or two in a high leverage situation before actually feeling better. Um, but I do think there's a, there's, you know, there's not nothing there to where, you know, it, it was eight 30 on Friday night or eight 30 on Thursday night or whatever the time may be in the seventh inning of each game, you felt pretty hopeless about it. I think there's something there. I think you could go to, I think you could go to diamond. You know, I think you could go to Doherty. I think you're going to have to go to both of them. And I thought, you know, Wes Burton looked okay. And I thought Braden Forsythe looked okay in short stints. Like, so I'd like to see more of it. But I actually think the, in a weird convoluted way, you got something out of the bullpen this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I do think, I will be honest, uh, I think the Jackson Kimbrell experience has ended for the year. I was about to take that directly to – that was the kind of the next subplot I was going off that. That's their only left-handed arm. That's their only left-handed threat. But you got to stop that, right? I mean, it was, Yeah, that – that one's gonna have to be uh that one's gonna have to be over uh just just he doesn't have it good god uh, look jack doherty has pitched seven innings this year and now look what 3.2 of them and make sure i'm saying this right 3.2 of them came against austin p and little rock um and only one 3.1 came against us so about half and half uh he has a 0.86 whip that'll play that will play my friend that is quite good. And look, it, 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 you know, we talk about – you talked about the offense and then pressing and then de- de- getting to the point where it's like, I'd screw it. it. That's where they're at right now with the bullpen, right? I know they had a little positivity this weekend, as we just alluded to, but why the hell not pitch Jordy? Like, what, what, what the hell do you have to lose? Yeah, no, I mean, look, he struck out three. He's, he's got, what, let's see, seven innings. How many strikeouts? My man has 11 strikeouts in seven innings. 0.86 whip and the runs he gave up because he kind of got squeezed a little bit and the guy hit a slider that was a pretty good pitch in the in the gap. No, this kid's not bad, man. Uh, I'm not saying, look, I ain't saying he's Scott Biddle. I'm not even saying he's near Taylor Broadway because he's not. But he can get out to an SEC level. And frankly, that's something you're just looking for right now. I was about to say, you don't have enough dudes that are doing that. One last thing on the Kimball thing before I'll ask the, ask the last question. We talked about it being, I think, a week or so ago, it being a throwing strikes thing. He only walked two dudes. I know he got – or, excuse me, one guy. He got in some bad counts, but it seemed like he just kind of got lit up. Yeah, well, he stayed behind in counts. That's – you know, that's what 
yes, sometimes guys. All right, let's get an example. Uh, Gunnar Hoagland in, in 2019. He didn't walk a ton of dudes, but he started off 1020 to a lot of dudes, and those 1020 pitches ended at the Ford Center a lot of times. Yep, that is very true. So does that change? I mean, does that change your outlook on it as well? Like if they say they do figure it out a little bit and they find a way to kind of cobble together some innings and a couple guys they can go to, just not having a left-handed arm, like how one scale of one to ten, how much of a concern is that? Maybe a four. Um, but and you have to understand, I'm a guy that doesn't really care about left-right matchups. Like, yeah, I'd like to have one because there's going to be that guy that struggles with left-handed pitching, and maybe, you know, you use him against, you know, the one guy that struggles against left-handed pitching. Um, but, no, I, that, that's something that doesn't really bother me. Frankly, if this team gets it turned around, I, I, I honest to goodness, and I think I mean this, the number one way they get this turned around is not the, the bullpen. It's up there. Number one way they get this turned around is playing good defense. I would agree with that because it's not helping the starters and it's not helping the pin as well. Um, I'd, go one, I'd probably go as far as to say 1A and 1B, but I, I agree with that. It's up there. Yeah, I mean, they, they, if they start playing – look, this team will play not even good defense. If they'll just start making routine plays at a regular basis, this is a team that will be a national seed come June 3rd or whatever the hell the date is. They, they will be – Thursday and had a hell of a lot better shot on Friday had they done just that. Yes, so – this, this team starts playing defense, they're going to be fine. Um, I don't really – so, my thing with the bullpen, and I don't want to spend too much more time because we talk baseball forever when you talk spring football. Um, the bullpen doesn't have to be great. It's just got to be average. And they got a whole hell of a lot closer to being average this weekend. Last one, do you make anything of the kind of coming back from 9-1 down, tying the game and winning? Like, I know momentum, whatever you want to call it, but that I – mean, that was a group that had a ton of things go wrong for them, and they lost a series to a bad LSU team. But, uh, you know, at you know, 2.30 p.m. or 3.30 p.m., whatever that walk-off happened on Saturday, you couldn't have told because those dudes were jacked. Exactly. That's what I said. They, if you ask that team what they've done recently, it's come back from eight down to LSU. It's not they've lost four series. Yeah, I said this earlier. I thought they – buy that thought, as a turning point or a spark is what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's 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 a spark from the standpoint of I thought they were really, really pressing on Thursday and Friday. And you would hope that what they're able to do, we were able to do on Saturday, shows them that, hey, this offense is really good. Um, and we got two elite starting pitchers. Frankly, you've got the the best one-two punch, maybe the second best, whatever you want to do, lock, rocker and lighter. Lighter getting hit a little bit nowadays, by the way. Um, getting pretty good. Yeah, getting hit a little bit, but yeah, I think it'd be a spark. I just because I saw them pressing on on Friday, and look, a little bit with that was Labus is a bad matchup for him. A little bit of it is they just were not able to put it bats together in situations and guys that could usually put it bats together. So yes, I, I do think this is a, something that could spark this team because frankly, I don't think this team has played as bad as its record the last four weekends. I agree with that because, like we mentioned, they've, they've come away with something positive every weekend, like it, whether it was the diamond thing or – I know it's a small sample size, but the bullpen or whatever. I don't think all hope is lost with this baseball team. I, no. I do think that there's a chance that they kind of go on a run. And I, I'm not dropping another dollar in the swear jar because I'll go into other examples. But, like, that 2015 team, when they were playing bad baseball, there was no, like, hey, if they can do this, this, and this, they'll go on a run. The team just kind of sucked. And it was kind of yes. like the 2017 team. Like, those kids were young. You know, they had the kind of the series de- – the year uh, season-defining 
series win. It's Arkansas double decker weekend when they're on the road. But at the same time, like it wasn't like if they can just do this, they'll go on a run. Like there was a much lower ceiling with that. It kind of the same thing with the even though the nineteen team had a much higher ceiling when they started playing bad that late May. I mean, I was like, okay, like I know they shouldn't be this bad, but I kind of give up on trying to figure out why. Like there's not much positive to gather from that. This team's played bad baseball for a month, but you still leave every weekend thinking, okay, they're close to putting this together. So I think there's something there to be put together where I don't think that's been the case in years past when they've had bad teams. Absolutely. Could not agree more. This team, you know, usually when you play badly, this this is where the first two weekends of SEC play and the weekend in, in Arlington uh, saves you because usually when you lose four series in a row, everything's lost. Nothing's lost with this team. They're fine. Um so you just, but you do got to figure it out. I said last week the the margin for error is done. Um, if you're talking about a national seed, that's right. That the margin error for is, is done. You got to go make up this game that you lost against LSU somewhere. Uh, you got to go sweep South Carolina A and M. You're not sweeping Vandy, but or, or Georgia. Um, so you know, but not all is lost. I mean, the, this team is perfectly fine, and 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 I, I frankly over the next four weeks think that at some point they run off a five and one or a, a six and two stretch at some point. Would agree with that. So our general analysis is play better. And that's why you listen to this podcast. <laughs> Last thing before we get out of here, they did have the spring game on Saturday. Did you watch? I watched a little bit of it when I, I had somebody the, did. I got off the golf course. Did you? No, I'd watch the snap. I just I cover. I'm a survivor. I'm a beat reporter from the Matt Luke era. If you're going to get me excited about a spring a spring game, there better be copious amounts of booze and other things there. Like I'm just not getting excited about spring football, man. It's hard to do. That being said, you know they had the whole party and the sip thing. They ran Lane Kiffin out of the bullpen, which I thought was hilarious to him walking out to whatever that song is and just kind of making a spectacle. Him kind of hugging John Rice Plumley and adding another chapter to that bromance. They're selling a party and they're selling a program that's kind of unique and has fun. And I think they did just that. Just that. I mean, just from yeah. the clips and the, from the pieces that I did. Um, I'll put it to you this way. Matt Corral, going to be better. It's amazing what a little bit of continuity are due to you. Um, Braylon Sanders, man, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a huge weapon. But he's got to stay on the field. Those are my two main takeaways. Okay. No, I, look, I can't speak to the football. I didn't watch Snap. And, frankly, I haven't read anything about spring football because this time of year I'm so obsessed with Ole Miss baseball that it's probably unhealthy to a level, but that's another story for another day. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought that was awesome what they did on social media. And, frankly, I think Ole Miss's social media has been really good over the past 12 months now. Uh, maybe even since Kiffin got here. I don't know how many months that is. a long time. Uh, I guess it's closer to 20 or so, whatever. Um, well, 16, whatever. It's. Uh, I think they're. They've been awesome on social media, and frankly, I, I would be shocked if their attendance numbers don't go up because of their branding and whatnot. I, and I think, frankly, that, that that that's what you go for when you kind of promote uh, some of the things they do. So, uh, yeah, it was really cool on social media to kind of see the, the the stuff they were branding, and they've done a really good job with that. Tread lightly, pal. If you give Kyle Campbell a compliment on this podcast, we're gonna have to end it immediately. Just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> you, 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 you and Kyle, not a fan. No, no, I'm a fan. <laughs> I love Kyle Campbell. I just, I just giving him shit on the off chance he's listening to this. There's no chance he's yeah, listening to no this. Chance, I just want to leave the possibility out there. Um, so I had to neg him just in case you were giving him and his staff 
a compliment. So I, I just had to give the collective neck return. I agree. I thought the party in the sip thing was creative. I think they're doing a good job with all that. And I don't think that that is completely uh, meaningless. Like I think no. to, that, to get people excited and hell that's look, let's be honest. Lane Kevin's a good football coach, but I mean, I talked to Keith Carter about this for a while. One, one day in his office, like, that's why he was hired. He was hired to make a splash and get people excited. Yes. He was hired to win football games, but the reason Lane Kiffin and not someone else is here to win football games is because he gets people excited and because his opening, you know, his opening press conference had people boozing at 11 a.m. on finals week on a Monday. Like, that's why he's here to make a splash. He's doing just that. You, you didn't have to yell so loudly there. You have to <laughs> yell about people being boozed at Lane Kiffin's press conference. Quiet your voice. Uh, look, I'm not a <laughs> – I'm not Quiet down. Oh, I thought it was awesome. On a Monday at 12 p.m. I'm not here to judge. I would – look, I'll put it to you this way. They could have been introducing any one of any sport, and had I not been there on pavement to cover it, I probably would have been boozing with the folks. Um, but if it, if it wasn't Matt Luke, I was going to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they should they should have surprised everyone and reintroduced Matt Luke. Gun to your head, who's the backup quarterback? Uh, throwing John Rice Plumley out of the. Uh, I, I do think after watching both bits and pieces of both of that, I, I do think uh, they're going to have a hard time fully moving him to receiver full time and not have yeah. Him to play for Look, I, I I can't really make much of a comment. I. <laughs> My my answer to that question is based on my group message, uh, not particularly being thrilled with Kincaid Dent and Luke Altmyer's performance. So um, I would guess John Rice Plumley is the backup quarterback, but if it's not him, it's Altmyer. I think because you just play the freshman, right? I think it's Dent. I think he looked a little. Really? People were not thrilled by that. Maybe I'm biased because he's a Jackson Academy alum and one day going to run the world. But I thought he was okay. Like, okay, well, I didn't watch the snap. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. The other storyline seemed to me coming out of the spring is, look, I'll believe it when I see it on the field, but they do have more talent on the defensive side of the football, and those dudes have way more confidence in the way they speak and they carry themselves than they did at any time in the last two years. Well, that's good because uh, they did not give me any confidence last year. I was going to say, it can't, uh, that's another part of it. I mean, it can't get any worse, but in all seriousness, I mean, you hear Jacquez Jones talk afterward and you hear a couple of these other guys talk afterward. I think they've replaced some talent and And I think the second better, and I think they're more confident, and I would hope that's the case. There were parts of that with Mike McIntyre when he was there, but you also knew that Mike McIntyre was getting – every single bit he could about out of the collective unit and not necessarily I, I should, I, I'm, this is going to come out wrong not necessarily ab enabling individuals but just doing whatever he had to do to produce the best collective result um, because that's what he was hired to do whereas I think they have some individual guys that have kind of come on strong and they're going to be a more talented unit because of it if that makes any sense yeah no that does um so, like you said, I have to wait and, and again look. I'm, I'm struggling to comment because I didn't watch the snap, and I'm not going to go back and rewatch it because I just don't care about spring football. But yeah, look, this defense has to be better. I mean, it, it, if it's any worse, then somebody's got to lose their job. So, uh, I, I expect the defense to be better next year. And frankly, they don't have to be that much better with what I think they're going to be on offense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And this is why we're going to start charging people to listen to this podcast because of our spring football analysis. That was. Dynamite. That, that neither one of us watched live. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I watched, I, I, I watched a very small piece of it, and that's because I got off the golf course and it was on before I was going to dinner. So I actually caught a decent bit of it, but to say I was locked in, 
was a lie. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I can't get excited about spring football. Uh, one very random note I want to throw out at the end of the podcast just because I thought this was badass, and I could, uh, could not wait to, uh, to share it or wait for the newsletter to share it. So today I'm back out at the golf tournament. My guy was not in contention. He played decently well but was not in contention. So once he finished up, I kind of like chatted with him for a minute. He gets in his car and goes on – or gets on a flight and goes to the next city. I stayed and watched the finish of the tournament. There was a caddy today named JJ who caddies for a fellow named Ben Coles. It was a guy that kind of toiled around on the PGA Tour for a little bit, um, was very ta- – had huge success when he first got out of school and has kind of lost it. Now he's in his early 30s and he's trying to find it again. He's on track to get back to the PGA Tour. He's had a good year. None of that's important. JJ the caddy is 80 or 79 years old, turned 80 today. The Jesus. man has survived two open heart surgeries and is caddying full time on the web.com tour uh, to try to get his guy, Ben Coles, back to the PJ tour. This guy's been a caddy for 40 something years, caddy for some pretty famous folks. I'll go down the list in the newsletter tomorrow. But he turns 80 today and he walks up the 18th green. And the entire gathering of about 300 people, I would say, was around there, just start ripping a happy birthday to this caddy. Oh, that's awesome. It was really cool. The grin on his face was awesome. That is awesome. That's really cool. It it was cool. I very much enjoyed that. And the best part about it was, so the guy that wins the tournament was not in the final group. He was actually in the group that JJ and his guy, uh, Ben Coles, were in. So it was like the second or third to last group. But he went – so the, the last guy in the last group finishes and he misses a putt that basically granted the other guy that had already finished that was now watching from the practice putting green a victory. So I walk by them and I'm just watching him celebrate. It's a good moment for that guy. He was in his, like, mid-30s. I watched him celebrate his wife and his kid. I mean, that guy's whole life changed today. And I watched him celebrate. And J.J., the caddy, has got – he's poured himself a stiff drink. And so is the uh, – so is the other guy, Ben Coles, and they're celebrating, presumably they're friends with the guy that's won. And some guy walks by and <laughs> shouts at the caddy and goes, 80 years old isn't nothing. And he goes, yeah, pal, try carrying a golf bag for 65 of them, then come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> so the man is as with it as ever is 80 years old. But I thought that was a cool note I had to share before we got out of here. If I'm still that salty at 80, I will be have done life right. I'm still alive at 80. I'll be shocked. <laughs> Much less caddying after two of her heart surgeries. After the first one, I might just be like, if Ole Miss doesn't start playing better, I'll be shocked when I'm alive at 30. Exactly. If I'm going in for a second open heart surgery at 70-something, I'm just like, you know what, Doc? Start pulling arteries. Just cut the cord. <laughs> Trust, try something different this time, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a positive note to end this podcast on. I appreciate the time as always, dude. We'll be back at it for the South Carolina series. Great stuff as always. I appreciate you joining me. Um, Awesome. I appreciate it, dude. Absolutely, man. Everybody have a safe and happy start to their week. Colin and I, will, I'm sure, will be back at it at the end of the week. And uh, I'll have something different for you. I think we're going to get another deal on the guest. But uh, everybody have a safe and happy start to the week, and we'll catch you all on Wednesday.